Well, welcome, church. Come on, welcome, church. Man, we're glad to have you in the same room for a change. Uh, you know, there's something about the song we just sang a while ago, Jesus Changes Everything, and I hope you believe that. In the climate that we're living in right now, Jesus needs to change everything. Amen? We know that that's true. You know, as you think about it, there's no doubt that we live in uncertain times. You know, we started this series, uh, you know, almost eight or so weeks ago, and we've been talking about uncertainty that goes on in the world. And, and the truth of the matter is, uncertainty really is just a part of life, isn't it? I mean, from the time you were, you can remember all the way through the time you got married, possibly, to having kids, life is just filled with uncertainty after uncertainty after uncertainty. And then about 10 weeks ago, we were hit with a big uncertainty called the coronavirus, right? And in that virus, in that moment, we weren't sure of how things were going to flesh out. We weren't sure of how, who was going to be impacted, how many people were going to be impacted, what the results of that, what was that going to do to us financially. We were just loaded with one uncertainty after the next. And then we saw that uncertainty shift from the coronavirus to such things as injustice and rioting. And I don't know about you, but I just want to say this, as I look at the world and as we look at the world, what we've seen over the last several weeks is emptiness, isn't it? It started with the emptiness of shelves, right? The emptiness of all the essential things that we needed. And what we've seen over the last week or so is the emptiness of the human heart. Amen? We have seen the depravity of man. We've seen the sinful heart of mankind. And the thing about it is, while that should probably frustrate us and possibly anger us and cause us to want to rise up and to stand out as we should in a God-earning way, at the end of the day, we are still called in the midst of injustice, in the midst of all the uncertainty, we are still called to live as exiles. We are still called to live as strangers in this world. And one of the things that I, that I love about this series, in fact, if there was ever a book of the Bible that was more timely for us to navigate through than the season we're in right now, it is the book of 1 Peter. Because Peter's writing to these early Christians, these early Christians who are going through a great deal of uncertainty, a great deal of persecution, tribulation, and trials. And in the midst of all this, he reminds them, yes, you belong to God, but don't forget, this world, it's not your home. You are called to be exiles in this world. And while we go through all that we're going through as a country and a nation, from viruses to looting and all the stuff that's going on as you flip the channels to your news stations, just remember this. You and I, as born-again believers, as children of the Most High God, we are called to be exiles in this world. We do not belong here. But while we are here, we have a purpose, right? We have a purpose that God has for us. And as we've been going through this book, what we've discovered is that the very first couple chapters of 1 Peter, Peter tells these early Christians of how to, to live as exiles, how they are to live as strangers and aliens in this world. So he tells them things like this. I want you to live in hope. I want you to live in holiness. I want you to live in submission. And I want you to live in harmony in your homes. But then in chapter 3, Elijah did a wonderful job last week. If you think Elijah did a wonderful job, let's just give him a hand clap. Right now, he did a great job last week. Don't clap for yourself, Elijah. That's okay, right? But he did a great job because in chapter 3, there's a shift that happens in 1 Peter. He moves from really talking about how to live as exiles to what we can expect as exiles. See, it's one thing to talk about in, the, in living in a world where we are temporary. Here's how God wants you to live. That's fine. And that's dandy. And we kind of all need to know that. But then he shifts the narrative about midway through chapter three, and he begins to talk about as exiles in this world, you need to know what you can expect. 
You need to know as God's people in a broken and a fallen world, a world that is against God, you need to know what you can expect in this world. And here's what it is. It's suffering. That if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to live for him, if you're going to kind of bow your back and you're going to pursue him and you're going to follow him with everything in you, you need to know this, that you will experience suffering in this world. Are you encouraged yet? You should be, right? Now, I know for some of us, that's, that's kind of alarming at some point. You mean if I, if I truly follow Christ, I'm going to suffer? Yes. And so what I want us to do tonight, and really we're going to do it over the next three weeks, I want us to look at what Peter said about suffering and how we are to navigate suffering. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. That's where we're going to be, 1 Peter chapter 4. And since we have some of you in the house tonight, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 say this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. He says, with respect to this, they are surprised, the world, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way that God does. May God bless the reading of his word. You may have a seat. Now as you look at this passage, I believe you could nutshell this whole passage and really one statement. I believe when you look at it, what Peter is telling these early believers who know and understand that suffering is going to come their way, here's what he tells them. Be prepared. I want you to be prepared. Suffering is going to come your way, but you need to be prepared. Because if you're not prepared and it comes, guess what happens? You don't succeed, right? And he says, listen, as you take this whole passage, these whole first six verses, what Peter is really challenging these early believers is to this, is that when suffering comes your way, you need to be prepared for it. And so in this passage, there's four things I want us to draw out. Four things that I believe that Peter lays out for us of how we can be prepared. How we can prepare ourselves so that when suffering comes our way, we are ready. Here's the first one's found in verse one. It says this. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. The first thing I think we need to do if we're going to be prepared, first of all, is to remember that Christ suffered. That Christ suffered. And I think what Peter's trying to set up out of the gate with these early believers is this, this basic truth. Is that no matter what you think you're going through, no matter how much you're suffering, what's coming your way, just remember this. The suffering you've endured, the suffering you've gone through, pales in comparison to the suffering that Christ went through. And if they forgot that, see, when he said this, that would have thrown them back to what Elijah read last week and what Peter had just told them in chapter 3, verse 18. Look what he says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, that the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. Here's what Peter says. Listen, if you've forgotten how Jesus suffered, let me just remind you. He died for your sins. 
The man who was righteous died for the unrighteous. And you know why he died for you? He said, Peter tells the reason why Jesus died and why Jesus suffered for us is because Jesus wanted to bring us closer to the Father. He wanted to give us hope of a relationship with him. He said, listen, if you're confused about Jesus and his suffering, let me just remind you, here's how much he suffered. He died for you. He died as a righteous man for the unrighteous. He died as someone, while he was innocent, he died as someone who's been condemned. And he did it all because of how much he loved you and because he wanted to bring us closer to the Lord. Now think about this. Jesus' suffering was selfless, wasn't it? Amen, do you believe that? Jesus' suffering was selfless. He did it out of the magnitude of love that he has for us. And sometimes I think this about myself, and maybe you wrestle with this too. When I think about suffering for the Lord, I tend not to be selfless. I tend to be self-centered, right? And so when I think about taking a stand for Christ, and when I think about really standing up and, and, and making a difference for the Lord, I begin to wonder, maybe you begin to wonder and worry about what will people think? What will people think at my workplace if I really stand up for Christ and I don't laugh at their dirty jokes? What will they think of me? Maybe they'll ostracize me. Maybe they won't talk to me anymore. What will people think if I really stand up for Christ? Or what will my future hold? If I really stand up for Christ, will I get that promotion? Or will they just overlook me because I'm that, that Jesus fanatic they don't want to have anything to do with? Or if I stand up for Christ, what's it going to cost me? Right? We ask that one a lot. If I really stand up for him, we know that there's a price that's going to be paid. And if I stand up for him, will I lose friendships? Will I lose relationships? What's it going to cost me? See, for many of us in the room and many of us watching, and for Doug himself, there's too many times when I think about suffering, that my thoughts on suffering aren't selflessly suffering for doing what is right. It's self-centered, thinking if I truly suffer for the sake of Christ, it's going to cost me something. And I'm not sure I want it to cost me something. Now, why in the world would Peter start this first little bit of section saying, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh? Why would Peter start that way? It's because he wanted to remind these early believers of something that I think we need to be reminded of, and it's this. If the story of Jesus was filled with suffering for doing what was right, doesn't it make sense that as believers that would be our story too? Did you hear me on that? If the, sto the story of Jesus was that he was going to suffer for living a life honor and pleasing to his father for doing what is right, doesn't it make sense that that would be our story too? Didn't Jesus tell the disciples, they hated me, they're going to hate you, right? And I believe Peter wanted these early believers to know that suffering is part of what you're called to do. If you really live for Christ, you will suffer. And honestly, if we really kind of, kind of thought about it, for many people, that idea is a deal breaker, isn't it? The idea that I'm going to suffer for being a follower of Christ, for many people, that is a deal breaker. Well, Doug, I'm not so sure about that. Well, just read the New Testament. When you thumb through the pages, you see people, a person after person after person that comes to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we're going to follow you. Wherever you go, man, we're on your team. And Jesus says, great, but you're going to suffer a little bit. Actually, you're going to suffer a lot. You're going to suffer from the inconveniences that you, that, that you, things you have, you won't have. You're going to suffer and it's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to miss out on all the comforts and the conveniences that you have now. If you follow me, this is a lifetime journey for you. 
And you know it as well as I do. In those stories, we don't ever hear from those guys again. Why? Because suffering for the name of Christ is one of those things that's a deal breaker for many people. Maybe it's been a deal breaker for you. And there's maybe some of us in the room that are saying, you know what, Doug? I've had moments in my life where I really stood up for Christ and I did what I thought I was supposed to do and people persecuted me. And you found yourselves in the quietness of your prayer time going, God, I stood up for you. Why am I being persecuted? God, I did what you want me to do. Why am I being ridiculed? And we just need to know what Peter told this early group of believers is that suffering is part of what we're called to. That if we stand for Christ, we will suffer as Christ suffered. So if we're going to be prepared for the suffering coming, first of all, we need to remember that Jesus suffered first. He is our example. Amen? The second thing I think I want you to notice is found in verse 1 and 2. It says this, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, here it is, arm yourself, underline that, with the same way of thinking, for whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased to sin. If we're going to be prepared for the suffering that's going to come our way, secondly, we need to arm ourselves with the attitude of Christ. He said, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Arm ourselves with the attitude of Christ. This phrase, arm, in the original language, basically means to weaponize. And I love it. It's a, it's a military kind of term. It means to put on the attitude of Christ. Well, you say, Doug, well, what was the attitude of Christ? Well, we know what it was from the passage. The attitude of Christ in chapter 3, verse 18 was this. The attitude of Christ was that he was willing to suffer even to the point of what? Death. Right? That was the attitude of Christ, that he was willing to suffer even to the point of death. So what does it mean for you and I? What does it mean for us as believers to have the attitude of Christ? It means that we have a willingness to suffer for doing what is right. That we have a willingness to suffer to doing what is right in the eyes of God. That we are willing, as Jesus was willing, to suffer for living a life that is honoring to God. Here's what I mean by that that we are willing to suffer to stand up for the truth of this word. We're willing to suffer when we stand on the principles and the precepts of God's word. That we are willing to suffer and stand up against the evils of this world. That we're willing to suffer when we stand up and say no more to racism. That when we are willing to suffer when we stand up and say no more injustice. That we're willing to suffer when we're willing to stand up and say, I'm going to stand in the gap for those that are harassed and helpless and have been hurt. That I'm going to stand up for them. See, that's what it means for us to share in the attitude of Christ as that when we're willing to suffer for what it's right. Now, if I were to poll the room, here's what I would find out. Most of us would say, all right, poll those who are watching. Most of us would say this. Well, I feel like, Doug, I have an attitude where I am willing to suffer for what's right. I'm willing to suffer for Christ. Well, I love what Peter does here because Peter lets us know that if you're really willing to suffer for Christ, there's evidence in your life. Look at me in verse 2 again. He says this. He says, uh, um, yeah, verse 2. I'm sorry, back up to verse 1. You'll stay with me eventually. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. In other words, evidence that you truly have the attitude of Christ in your life, that you've truly put on the attitude of Christ, is that you have ceased from sin. Now, that's a really interesting Greek phrase. It does not mean that you are sinless anymore. 
It does not mean that. Because you and I both know the only time that we will ever be sinless is one day when we meet our Savior face-to-face, in the air, prepared for all eternity. Amen? That's the only time we're going to be sinless is when we cast off into eternity. That's not what that phrase means. That phrase, cease to sin, means this, is that you have deliberately turned from living a life of sin. That you have deliberately walked away from living a life of sin. That you no longer live to satisfy the passions of the flesh, but you live to do the will of God. That's what it means. That's the evidence that we need to have in our life. That's the thing that we can look at and go, how do I know if I truly have the attitude of Christ in my life? How do I know I really have this willingness to suffer in doing what is right? Well, here's what he says. Here it is, you ready? If you've turned from the life of sin, if you've turned to the place where you're no longer seeking to pursue the, the, the desires of the flesh, but you're living to do the will of God, you're living to share the gospel, you're living to be salt and light in a dark world, you're living to be an ambassador for him. I mean, how do we know that we truly have this evidence is if we're doing the will of God in our lives? So here's what I want to say to all of us. If we are pursuing and living to pursue and meet and satisfy the desires of the flesh, Hear me, we will never have the attitude of Christ in our heart. If the chief pursuit in our life is to satisfy the desires of the flesh, we will never have the attitude of Christ. And so if we're going to be prepared for the suffering that's coming, yes, we need to remember that Jesus suffered first and the most. But secondly, we need to arm ourselves with the attitude of Christ. The third thing I want you to notice is found in verse 3 and 5. Look what it says with me. Verse 3 says this. For the time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to these, they are surprised. Well, who's the they, by the way? It's the world. They're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him, talking about God, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, here's what Peter says. If you're going to be prepared for the suffering that comes, third thing we really find in the text is that he says you need to make sure that you refuse to go back to your old life. You need to refuse to go back. Do you remember the story in Daniel in chapter 1 when the Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself? Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. Daniel was taken from, from, from Judah, and he was taken to Babylon, and they were trying to indoctrinate Daniel. And Daniel was there, and then king, the way he indoctrinated is he took the best of the best, and he fed them, and he clothed them, and he tried to basically rip them of their heritage and make them Babylonian in culture and mindset. And one way to do that was with food. And the Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart, I'm not eating the king's food. Because why the king's food probably looks really good. I mean, I can't imagine, right? Can you? It probably looks really good, probably smells amazing. I mean, smells a lot better than the guys I walked with from Judah. I mean, this is, this is probably going to be a great meal. But at the end of the day, I know if I partake in this meal, where that's going to take me. That's going to take me down a path of idolatry and walk away from God. And I'm going to draw a line in the sand, and I'm not going to eat the meat. Now, I'm just telling you, I believe Peter's looking at these early Christians and saying, would you draw a line in the sand? Would you decide that you're not going back? You are not going back to your old way of living. Now, here's why that's important, because you know what I know, and it's this, that when suffering comes our way, isn't it easy for us to go back to our old behavior? Isn't that easy? When suffering and difficulty and strife comes our way, it is so easy to default to our old flesh and our old way of living. 
And I believe Peter's saying, don't go back. Don't go back. Don't go back and live the life the pagans are living. And then he lists some things about the pagan life. He says, don't go back to sensuality. Sensuality just means evil without moral restraint. That means there is no boundaries in your sexual behavior. That's what sensuality means. Passions. These are intense desires that control a person. And then he mentions drunkenness. You know what that means. Orgies, drinking parties. And then he mentions lawless idolatry. That phrase, lawless idolatry, means one who not only breaks God's laws, but breaks civil law. He said, listen, don't go back to that. Why? Because that's who you used to be. And because of Jesus, you're not that person anymore. Don't go back there. Because if you go back, guess what? You look just like the world. If you go back there, there's no difference between you and everybody else. If you go back there, you're not living as exiles. You're living like one of the people who belong here. Don't go back. Say that with me. Don't go back. That's what he's saying. Now, I love what Peter does. Peter reminds him, listen, if you choose to stay the course and you choose not to go back to the old way of life, I need you to know some things. Look at verse 4, what he says. In verse 4, he says this. With respect to these... They are surprised when you do not join them in the same foolish debauchery, and they will malign you. And notice he says, listen, if you choose not to go back, just know this, the world will be blown away by your behavior. Now, there's sometimes when I'm studying, preparing, and reading the passage, there's a verse that jumps out, and it just really messes with me. And this was that verse. It says that if we choose not to live in the same debauchery the world is living in, that the world is surprised by us. And I thought about that for a moment. And my first notes that I put in my notes here, I thought, well, they're surprised because, you know, who wouldn't want to feed their fleshly desires, right? I mean, that's the world's mentality. Who doesn't want to do that? So if you're a person who doesn't want to feed your fleshly desires, well, you're abnormal and they're surprised by that. But the more I prayed on, I thought maybe they were surprised because there have been a whole lot of other believers along the way who said they were going to follow Jesus too. But they looked just like the world. And they never set themselves apart. See, would our world be surprised if we truly lived for Christ the way he's called us to live for him? Yeah. You know why? Because there's a ton of believers that occupy our country who are living like the devil instead of living for the Lord. And they're giving those who want to live for God a bad rap. And I think the world would be surprised. He said, listen, if you truly follow, if you truly live, if you truly don't go back, the world will be shocked, blown away by your behavior. And then he says this, verse 5, in verse 4. Not only will they be shocked, he says this in verse 4. They will, they will also malign you. That word malign means they will slander you. In other words, if you choose not to go back, which is what I'm telling you to do, don't go back. If you choose not to go back and you choose to stay the course, it's going to blow the world away. They're, they're going to be like, what, who are these people? But also know this, you're also going to become their target too. They're going to come at you with everything they've got. You know why? Because the world is driven by who? The enemy, right? The enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom what? He may devour. He says, listen, if you truly do this thing and you live it out and you don't go back, yes, you're going to blow the world's mind, but they're going to put a target on your back and they're going to malign you. They're going to slander you. You will suffer for Christ's sake. You will suffer. Now you say, well, Doug, why would I suffer? Why would the world want to come after me for living for Christ? Well, think about it. When you don't join the, world, the debauchery of the world, they feel like we're condemning them. And when you feel condemned by someone, what is your most likely response? retaliation. 
And the way the world retaliates against us is through slander. So Peter says, listen, I don't want you to go back. And if you don't go back, if you stay the course, the world is going to be blown away with what you do. But just know that you're going to be a target. People are going to come after you. But I want you to be encouraged. Look what he says in verse 5. But they will give an account to him, God, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In other words, for those who come against you, those who uh, rebuke you, those who revile you, those who come after you, those who persecute you, guess what? There's a final day of judgment that's coming. And those people that come against you are going to stand before a holy God. So the God who's for you, in you, and with you, he has the last word, not them. And you need to remember that. So while we choose not to go back, will we suffer? Yes. But God will have the final word for those who persecute us. So if we're truly going to be prepared for the suffering coming, we have to decide and purpose in our heart and refuse to go back to our old lifestyle. Now, I want to say something before I move on. That's way easier said than done, isn't it? Because that old flesh just pulls, doesn't it? It just pulls harder and harder and harder. You know, you think about it. People who've had addictions, whether it's alcohol or drugs, whatever, and you talk to them, and one thing I've always been fascinated with is this, is they always talk about being in recovery, and I'm thinking, well, you know, you're, you're through it, right? You've heard of it. No, 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 I'm in recovery. And, I, and the more you talk to them, here's what you find out. The reason they keep saying they're in recovery is because they understand the weight that if a moment goes and they're not on high alert, they'll go back. In a moment, if they're not alert, the temptation can be so powerful, they'll go back. They always have to be on alert not to go back to the old way of living. And that's exactly what Peter's saying. Don't go back. There's one more thing I want you to notice in the passage. One more thing that we need to do if we're going to truly be ready for the suffering and prepared for the suffering that's going to come our way, and it's found in verse 6. He says, for this, underline that word this in your Bible, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Now, this is kind of a complicated verse, but here's basically what he's saying. Listen, if we're going to be prepared for the suffering that's coming, hear me, keep your eyes on the prize. He says here this. He says this. He says, this is why the gospel is preached. Well, what is this? Well, this refers back to what he just said. So in other words, he's saying, since there is a day coming, a final judgment, because there's a final judgment that's coming, the gospel was preached. Here's what I mean. If the gospel had never been preached, what is the gospel? It's the story of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. It's the story of salvation. It's the story of forgiveness. It's the story of how we can be in relationship with our Heavenly Father. If the gospel had never been preached and we had never heard the gospel, one day when we die, we would stand in judgment and we would stand condemned to spend an eternity apart from Him. And He said, because there's a final judgment coming, because that day is coming, the gospel was proclaimed to you. So that those that believe it and hear it and put their life in it will receive reward. And those who don't will receive an eternal separation. And he even goes on to say this. He says there's those that were preached to even when they were dead. Now that doesn't mean the gospel is preached to those that already died. What he's saying is there are those that believed in the gospel who've already died. They've already passed away. They heard it, they believed it, they've already passed away, they're no longer with us. It says here that they were judged in the flesh. That literally means they were put to death. In other words, they were martyred for their faith. People had heard the gospel and were martyred for their faith. And while they are physically dead, make no mistake about it, they are spiritually and eternally alive. And he wanted them to know that. 
He wanted them to know that these people's story that had believed and had died and who now are alive in Christ is the same story they would have. He wanted these early believers not to be afraid of what death holds for them. Because let's think about it. What does death hold for us? All death does is usher us into everlasting life, right? What does death do for us? It just ushers us in. I mean, you think about it. Doug, what if I suffer to the point of death? Awesome. All that means is when you suffer to the point of death, the next face you will see will be the Lord Jesus himself. I'm ready for that one. How about you? Right? And so he wants these early believers to know that no matter what you go through, listen, keep your eye on the prize. I remember watching my dad train horses when I was younger. My dad liked to team pin a lot. And he would put these blinders on, and he would want them to go a certain way. And I was always intrigued with blinders. And he said, listen, when I put the blinders on, there's so much unbelievable focus in that horse, I have no problem training them. But if you take the blinders off and the world is their playground, that's when it gets hard. And I believe the word for us today is this, that we need to put our blinders on, and we need to keep our eye on the prize that one day Jesus is coming again, or that one day we are gonna see him in the sky. And while we go through suffering right now, and we go through persecution right now, let us never take our eyes off the prize, amen? And so I believe he's challenging the church with that. And I guess as we close tonight, as we close in this moment, I guess the thing I want us to think about, there's two questions, especially for believers, I want us to ask. And here's the first one. Are we prepared to suffer for Christ. Are we prepared? As we get up and operate through the course of our day, is the thought of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and how he took my sins and the suffering that he endured because he loves me, is that the thought that drives how I see people? Is that the thought that drives the decisions I make? Is that the thought that drives how I live my life? Are we prepared in that way? Are we prepared for the suffering that's coming because we, we've somehow, we've taken on and we've put on the attitude of Christ, that we are willing to suffer for doing what is right, that we have turned from a life of sin and that we truly uh, seek no longer to satisfy our human passions, but to do the will of God. Are we, have we done that? Have we drawn a line in the sand saying, I'm not going back. I remember the bondage of where I used to be. I remember the pain of where I used to be. I remember the hurt I caused where I used to be. I remember the rebellion where I used to be. I'm not going back. Have we drawn that line in the sand? What about keeping our eyes on the prize? Is your eyes so focused on the circumstances and situation, or is your eye still on the prize? And I guess the question we've got to wrestle with is this. Are we prepared to suffer for the name of Christ? Are we ready? And if not, hear me, church, if not, will we just confess that to the Lord? And if not, will we ask the Holy Spirit to help us? Will we ask the Holy Spirit, say, Lord, as I walk through tomorrow, as I walk through the rest of the night, would you help me keep the sacrifice of Christ the foremost thought of my mind? Holy Spirit, would you help me to have the attitude that Christ had, that I would have a willingness to suffer for doing what is right? Holy Spirit, would you help me fight the temptation to going back to who I used to be and to celebrate who you've made me to be? Holy Spirit, would you give me the strength to keep my eyes off of my pain, off of my circumstances, and keep my eyes on Jesus and keep my eyes on the prize? If you are not prepared tonight, listen, if you aren't prepared to suffer for the Lord, would you just confess that to him? And would you ask his Holy Spirit to give you strength? 
And maybe you're here and you're saying, you know, I'm a believer and you know what, Doug, I'm not prepared at all. Well, then maybe there's a second question you need to think about and it's this. Are you willing at all to suffer for the name of Christ? See, some of you say, Doug, I'm not prepared. And it's because there's some areas I'm struggling. But others of you may say, I'm not prepared because you're just like, I don't want to suffer. I mean, when I see suffering coming, I'm going the other direction. I don't, I, don't, I don't care anything about suffering. I mean, I'd rather just fly below the radar of my life and the radar of my work and love Jesus quietly and never let anybody know and just avoid all that suffering. Do you, are you willing to suffer for Christ at all? And if not, listen, if not, I think tonight you need to check your heart. Check your loyalty. Check your commitment level. And so for all of us that are believers that are here and for all of us that are believers that are watching, I just challenge us to check our hearts in this moment. Am I willing to suffer for Christ? And if so, am I prepared? And then maybe some of you are here, some of you are watching and say, you know what, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. And I just want to say this to you. If that's your story, I want you to think about the magnitude of how Christ suffered for you. The shame that he endured the ridicule he endured, the abuse that he endured, and he endured it all, not with bitterness. He endured it all, not with a sense of, you know, of, of just kind of looking at us, of the poor, pitiful them. He did it because he loved us and wanted us to be in relationship with him and his Father. And if you've never trusted him, would you just simply say, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I believe that Jesus suffered for my sin, and that Jesus died on the cross and I commit and I confess myself to him and I ask him to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. So maybe for those of you that aren't believers, this moment is that moment that you surrender your life to him. I'm gonna ask you right now, stand with me and let's pray. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father God, I love you. <clears throat> I thank you for this moment that we've had together. I thank you for this opportunity to come into this place and to worship. But God, I just pray tonight as we, as we continue on through through this, this idea we've talked about tonight, that we would recognize this truth, Lord, that as followers of Jesus Christ, if we are living for him, we will have moments of suffering. We will face seasons of suffering. But we can be prepared for that. And we can be prepared by being reminded that Jesus suffered more than I'll ever suffer. He is my model. He is my example. And I can be prepared by arming myself with the attitude of Christ that was willing to suffer for what was right. And I can be prepared, Lord, by drawing a line in the sand, saying I'm not going back to the old person. And I can be prepared, Lord, when I keep my eyes off of my suffering, off of my circumstances, but on the prize. So God, tonight, I, at this moment, I pray for believers. I pray that we would truly do a heart check, that we would take a moment and ask those two questions. Am I willing to suffer for the name of Christ? And if so, am I prepared? Am I prepared? And then God, I pray for that person who's never trusted you. I pray that somehow supernaturally for those that are here, I mean, those that are watching, that you would somehow give them a glimpse of the magnitude of how much Jesus suffered for us a body that was beaten, thorns that crushed his brow, a cross that he had to bear. And he did it all because he loves us. 
And I, God, I pray that that would just wreck their heart and that in this moment, they might surrender their life to Christ. Lord, my prayer tonight is that we all, from believers to non-believers, that we would be faithful to respond as you lead us. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.